Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. There's something that I think is just universal to a startup founder's experience, which is to succeed, you have to have this like maniacal vision of changing the world. You have to be at that level. You have to be thinking that your product, your service, your innovation, whatever it is that you're delivering matters so much that you should give up your life, give up your family's life, like ask people to change their career and move to you and invest in you. And you have to have your vision so high above what the reality actually is of of your business. Those are the wise words of Judy Anderson, CEO of Startup Victoria. A short bit of housekeeping and we'll get right back to Judy and Jules Waters-Lynch, who is also with us today. Before we kick off, I just want to express my gratitude to you, our listeners. Whether you listen each week or just cherry-pick episodes of interest, your support and attention is much appreciated. After all, there are roughly 700,000 other podcasts you could have chosen. Know that your confidence and interest in choosing Humans of Purpose is greatly appreciated. I'm especially grateful to those who have chosen to actively support the podcast by becoming Patreon supporters, including our guests today who are both supporters of the show. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters, Lucia, Judy, Jules, Sally, McCartan, Stuart, Joel, Misha Times 2, Bonnie, Olivia, Lyndon, Joe, B, and Will. Your support is much appreciated and helps us to keep posting up quality content each and every week. If you want to join our Patreon community and support the growth of Humans of Purpose, just hit the link in our show notes or head to patreon.com slash humans of purpose. Today's episode's a little bit different. I caught up with Judy Anderson, CEO of Startup Victoria, and Jules Waters-Lynch, a very talented researcher, who came together in partnership with Victoria University to produce Duct Tape. Duct Tape is a stunning physical and digital magazine showcasing stories of Victorian entrepreneurs. They are very literally about exploring the mindset of Victorian founders. I really enjoyed catching up with Judy and Jules and hope you'll enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed being part of it twice. So it's great to be back here. It feels somewhat like we've done this before, but still very happy to do it again. I've got Judy of Startup Victoria. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us back. Oh, my absolute pleasure to spend time with you two wonderful individuals. And I've got JWL, uh, Jules Waters-Lynch, back as well. Great to be back. And you are both have, have collaborated on this terrific duct-taped project um, in, in partnership with Startup Victoria and Victoria University. Yeah. So I'm pumped to talk about this a bit. Um, Judy, you're a, a, you know, a stalwart of the podcast, a supporter from way back, and so people can definitely hear your story uh, if they head back in time to one of our archives. And an official uh, patron, I think you'll find. Yes, of course, of course. Um, we don't normally reveal full details of our patrons. But... Oh, sorry. <laughs> F- full disclosure, we're both patrons. Yeah, you now. both are. Yeah, okay. Now everyone's being outed. Anyone else want to be outed? Okay. All right. We're good. We're good. So really happy to be here with you guys to talk about um, your new newest venture. I love um, supporting Salah Victoria and Jules, I've always loved the work that you've done. Um, Why don't we, is it best maybe if Jules takes us into a bit of the design or do you want to talk about the idea behind the concept first, duct taped and what it's all about? Yeah, I'll start with the concept and then Jules knows best the design. He's been in there like Willy Wonka in the back of the factory designing it all. So (laughs) um, the, the idea for duct tape came from 
uh, Startup Victoria's and Victoria universities need to showcase the human experience of the founders in Victoria. Um, there are a lot of uh, ecosystem mapping reports which are incredibly helpful to inform investment strategy, both at a, a government level and also even for organisations like Startup Victoria, like what the needs are in the community. Um, but what we found was missing um, was the voice of the founder, yep. uh, especially those that were perhaps a little bit unknown, a little on the fringe, those that perhaps didn't fit the common um, sort of profile of a Victorian entrepreneur. And we just knew from our community, we've got over 19,000 people in the start of Victoria's community. We knew that there were lots of different um, types of stories. And we have also had feedback from our founders that learning from other founders was the most valuable resource for them. So we partnered up with Victoria University to uncover those stories. And that's when we found Jules, because we knew we definitely couldn't do this by ourselves. So um, what Duct Tape actually is, is a physical print and digital magazine that showcases the entrepreneurial experience of our local founders and also shows um, some insights as to what we learned along the way when we were interviewing all of these entrepreneurs. So it's both a hard copy and a digital publication. That's right. Yep, I've got a hard copy in my hand and it looks just awesome. Uh, Lots of um, familiar faces, but also some faces I'm excited to get to know. Jules, um, how do you come into this piece? Where does that? So um, I'm a, I guess I'm an academic. I, I've done a lot of work in, my, like my PhD was really in ethnography of co-working spaces in Melbourne. So I'm the kind of researcher that likes uh, going in and studying how things actually happen in practice, how things are working on the ground. And I was approached by these guys. I'd known some of them for a while. Judy and I, I think, first met back in a co-working space in Hub Melbourne years ago. Mm. Um uh, and the brief in very VU Innovations kind of Gus Balbertine style was just to do something cool and a bit different, right? It was, and we spent the first part going, well, what would be a useful contribution? And as Judy said, there'd been these other um, reports that had come out about the ecosystem. And the ecosystem is this term that really wasn't discussed 10 years ago. Or eight uh, years it's ago, it's right? a thorny term, I feel like, across all <laughs> disciplines. The ecosystem is a great way to describe something, but at the same time it tells you nothing about yeah, that. Yeah, it's a bit of a woolly concept, yeah. right? And in, in academia this is um, a current real source of debate. Like yeah. what does introducing this term actually help us understand besides that, you know, a lot of things are related to other things. Um, <laughs> so it's I, very I, referential, Jules. Yeah. Things are related to, to other things. things. Right? Everything's related to Without those else. other things, nothing makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I had a funny day. Um, this is really like one of the first conversations I've had today, but I've spent most of my day for another project digging back into older entrepreneurial literature. So I've been reading stuff in the 80s. And in entrepreneurship studies, there's been these various turns. Like it began with very much this focus on individuals and not individuals in the story sense that we're talking about here, but psychological traits. You know, what is, um, who is the entrepreneur was a famous article, right? And then there's a shift to what entrepreneurs do and behavioral stuff. Um, but a recent turn has been this focus on context. And for example, why is it that we have such a high proportion of um, like high growth startups come out of these very few places on, on earth? And we know where they are, right? Mm. It's the San Francisco Bay Area and it's New York and it's London and it's um, increasingly parts of China, um, Israel, etc. Mm. So I, I'm not at all answering your question. I'm just talking about um, our impetus here was, well, if we've got ecosystem reports on one hand that show stats and numbers um, and are useful, and then on the other hand you've got, um, I guess I'd call marketing stories, you know, uh, start mate, so-and-so just raise money um, or a kind of profile on somebody 
that is fulfilling a different function, which is usually a marketing one. Mm. We're freaking awesome. Yeah. The future looks great. We're excited. We're mm. pumped. Our system mm. is booming. Yeah. Our ecosystem yeah. All of that. Yeah. Invest yeah. in us. Be our customer. Yeah. Work yeah. with us. And this is where you need to be now. Yeah. It, you it, know? It's very understandable that in that context, that's the story you want to tell, right? Mm. But in speaking to uh, a lot of founders privately, and, and you must have this experience too, mm. Judy, um, they often talk about different things behind closed doors, how difficult it is how contingent the whole thing is, the play, the role of luck, et cetera, um, getting into why they went into it, the sacrifice. And so we wanted to do something that illuminated some of these stories, both who these founders are, but also their motivations for starting businesses, um, how they go about it, the, the sort of zigzaggy path, and not just have these accounts once people have already made it. Um, yeah. You know, they've already raised 10 million, you know, Series D or whatever um, investment. And they're looking back retrospectively saying, yeah, it was hard. We wanted also to feature some people that are like at the early phase of a journey looking forward. Yeah. And I just think that there's something just inherently uninteresting about plain success stories now. <laughs> and I'm not sure whether it's that saturation effect of social media, that echo chamber of, oh, we just closed our Series A, B, C or D, and, you know, now we're um, – so those are the articles that get picked up by the age and, you know, the Australian, so so-and-so local startup closes uh, round, investment round. And, I mean, it's just – there's no narrative arc there. There's, mm-hmm. there's sort of nothing to learn there other than this particular group or these people got money. <laughs> I think that, I mean, to make a a sort of meta point about that, I think there's this really interesting search for authenticity that goes on, Mm -hmm. right? And when social media emerged 10, 12 years ago, there was a sense at the time that here's a place of ordinary people telling, you know, this is the the, the, um, sort of texture of everyday life from people tweet things that they're having for lunch and all that. And what I think everybody's noticed over the last five, 10 years is this creeping um, impression management, commodification of stories. And It's not enough lunch. I just want to know what no, people yeah, are yeah, eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe the lunch has gone down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I respectfully disagree. Right, there yeah. will always be too much lunch <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. on social media. But even that, even the Instagram food porn thing, it's turned away from what people are eating into, oh, my God, this friggin' chia seed bowl or whatever, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's Virtue a, signaling the, by way of uh, or food signaling uh, poke bowls. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I think there's this widespread sense that the stories increasingly that are on social media are highly managed. They yep. are. Um, there's this sort of influencer dynamic and um, that's crept into LinkedIn and everywhere, right? Um, so it does seem hard to, to to provide textual accounts of what what do people really think? What, what's it really yeah. like to do this thing? Isn't it like um, kind of um, oxymoronic to be on a quest for authenticity though <laughs> the same way? Like isn't that weird? Like that where we are all kind of, that's what we want, but there has to be a quest for it because, like you said, in the olden days, um, I'm talking about, you know, like 2007, started Twitter and whatnot. But just olden days. Yeah, that's what yeah, it's like. Right, it's like it's apparently, 2020 now. Apparently yeah. Twitter used to be like you just write what you were doing at that time. That was yeah. the original status update. Yeah. So yeah. it would be like, tweet, um, just about to go to work. And, and I don't even know what happened after that, but that was like the yeah. kind yeah. of On the train, waiting, yeah. dot, dot, dot. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the other thing that's happened there, and I know this is taking us down a bit of a path. We'll swing back to duct tape, and on, but I, I just love this shit. Like, remember the the early days of the noughties? Is where yeah, everybody calls it the noughties. Yeah, it's right? the noughties. Totally. It's, yeah, a, a lot zero of zeros, zeros. Uh, like the early phase of Web two point so. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of um, sort of social, the equivalent of social media on blogs were often anonymous, right? Mm. So it wasn't this act of professionally crafting an identity so much as 
people do movie reviews or they do their yeah. diary, but it was that was much more of a standard. In it's, a like way, a, it's like story. It was original storytelling, and it wasn't brand management. And I think that's the exactly distinction. like brand yeah. management is now. It seems like uh, at the crux of so much of this activity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And for me, the thing that jumps out of uh, just hearing you guys talk about that, it's it's really interesting. The thing that springs to mind for me is now I think because of all the not to say manufacture, but because of all of the management of positioning and what's getting put out across social media or in an, or in an article or anything like that. Um, it's, it's what's, what's purpose does it serve beyond the promotion yeah. of your own agenda? And that for me is something that I think I'm, I'm really proud of what we've done is that it truly echoes that give back or sort of give first um, value within the startup community here in Melbourne. It's like none of these founders did it because they wanted to be promoted. Like, they actually thought they were at the time, like they didn't realize how like sort of big and how strong that would come across in duct tape and how big it was going to be. And so it was purely there to give back and to share their lesson mm. and to hopefully inform someone else's next journey. Um, and so that for me, I think is why it's resonating so well uh, is just because you can actually learn from it, uh, which, which I, I think mean, you can, but it has texture. Maybe it's the yeah. texture of it. And like, like what you said about ordinary people. So it's not to say that these people are, you know, not super high achievers in any way. They all are. We've had a look at the book, but mm. they're maybe not the people who you'd expect to roll out of the front page of every major publication, yeah. but whose story is so much more interesting because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings us a nice segue back to the question you actually asked me yeah. is how do I get involved? Yeah. I mean, we started with this, this, what in ethnography we call a foreshadowed problem. You know, you don't actually know what the research question is yet. You've just got this sense that there's something here. And, and our sense was um, that there's a way of telling human stories here that hasn't been done and we could make a contribution that way, right? And so we were we were influenced by things like Humans of New York. And mm. um, in fact, we were talking about it in the first the, the first few months as somewhere between mm. Startmate and uh, Somewhere between like the um, the LaunchVic ecosystem mapping report and the Humans of New York yeah. Uh, blog post. Yeah, but I was still imagining at the time that I would be writing a report. You know, I didn't think. And the the very first interview I did was with um, Morgan uh, Ranieri from uh, Your Grocer, and I didn't even back then. This is a combination of just um, procrastination and disorganization and. <laughs> Um, deliberate design when often you do it like your first interview, you're not even sure which questions to ask. So you, you've got asking these open questions. And um, he just told these amazing stories about how he learned to be an entrepreneur and what he did to teach himself, for example, how to do sales, mm -hmm. where he took a job in a call center, um, you know, basically selling electricity plans or something. But, um, and he had a, a weird old book from the 80s of like how to sell anything. <laughs> and he's reading this thing and then just practicing. Yeah. And the stories were so rich. And I mean, he, he's a particularly cool guy mm. that I came back to the team. You might remember this, Judy. And I said, I think we, we need to tell these stories. Like it, abstracting the insights away from the context would just do a disservice to how people would actually appreciate and and learn from this yeah it's really hard to actually figure out what are the common threads like one way to do research is just ask everyone the same question and sort of likely the divergent viewpoints or yeah. you can just ask everyone a free flow range of questions and you get more depth and i think you know i've i've, I've tried to do a similar thing with humans of purpose to go back and sort mm. of can you do a thematic analysis on the, the conversations yeah. and you, you can't really like you, you sort of can but maybe it's just not a useful way to explain all these rich stories mm. Yeah, I mean, my, my response to that is, I mean, every, the, all different paths to inquiry have their own strengths and weaknesses, mm. right? And so one thing, and, and a, 
a way of doing research that a lot of people are familiar with is like a survey where you ask exactly the same question to more and more people. And there's this sort of uh, basic idea that the more people that answer, the better, the more accurate that is, right? But we all know it, when you're filling out surveys that there's sometimes all this shit that you think is actually the important thing that just doesn't fit into the boxes. Yeah. Mm. So the, the other the other extreme is is like single <laughs> getting an amorous encounter with a labradoodle here. Humpy yeah. of labradoodle, yeah. sorry, Jules. Um just really into what I was saying. Yeah. Um the other way is just to follow one person, right? And, and you could you could do that for a year, just follow yep. completely yep. that you know, case study of n equals one. That's interesting too, but it's the, the question is always how generalizable those insights yeah, are. Yeah. So we would what we were trying to do here is let's speak to um, a good number of people. We, we spoke to sort of twenty four um, founders uh, for an hour and a half. Let's photograph them. Let's um, sometimes follow up a little bit, um, clarify things. And what we've tried to put together is, um, I mean, it's not an ethnography in the way that I would do that in a, in it, it, it's. It's a set of interviews, but we've tried to communicate the texture of the world these people inhabit, mm. um, particularly through visual design. And it's, it's a beautifully designed book, yeah. and I think um, what you what it looks like you've done. I've just had a look at it um, since you came tonight, but it looks like you capture some of the personality through design and image in a really unique way. Yeah, um, perhaps know. for that, definitely go to uh, Jordi Jian from yep. Rochambeau. Yep. He was our design lead absolute guru mm. uh, when it comes to that. But for me, I think like that, what, what really jumps out to me is like everything that you're saying, Jules, like it would be completely false for us to sort of say, oh, yes, we had this grand vision for exactly what it would look like and it is this mm. and we executed on that perfectly like we it's not very startup is it to just try and have <laughs> exactly. a, a standard like, research question and execute on it our original idea is far from what we've ended up with mm. and that's a result of what we learned as we went out and we talked to the people who were our customers which is the founders and um we're very lucky that we didn't have any sort of specific political or financial or cultural agenda for what we were trying to achieve. We were just trying to do something cool, something good, something interesting, something helpful. And I think that's what allowed us the flexibility to end up with what we've got. And principally something that founders in particular and, and people that aren't founders would want to read, like yeah. would pick up mm-hmm. and in a co-working space or something and flick through it as you did and then go, man, I, I want to know a bit more about that. That yeah, was the goal. Yeah, this is very grabbing. Um, what were the, what was the top thing for both of you that you learned through this process about the founders of Victoria that you, you didn't maybe think about before or you hadn't considered? I, I can have a first swing if you want. Please, I, yeah. I, it's funny because <laughs> I, I, I can see Judy's face crumpling up. She's like, oh, why did you ask that? That's too <laughs> no, I'm just like, how do I choose just one? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think something that stood out, I, I actually used to have a better can response to this because I – the end of last year, I do all my. Oh, here's the three things, right? <laughs> and because we, because it's the start of the year, the, I, I haven't got that as clearly. But the the one thing that um, that I'm fascinated with, and I think it's in some ways it's the most difficult thing to communicate to people outside of the startup community, is the sense of goodwill and helpfulness um, between people in, in this small social world, right? So we've deliberately featured founders in here that are outside of that. Um, that don't have much to do with it at all. Someone like um, Murti, uh, we talk about sometimes, who is um, is out in Tarnit, which is a, a suburb in the outer west of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of our goals, is to feature people that um, are, are not hanging out in Cremorne or the CBD in a co-working space and attending the pitch nights that Startup Vic puts on. Yeah. But we also spoke to a lot of people that are in that world and 
Um, so many of them, someone that stands out that basically said this verbatim is Tracy, Tracy Morgan, who runs um, Hack Hunter. And Tracy's a woman in, you know, she's the other side of 40. Um, she's had a career running small businesses and her, her, her startup's about um, cybersecurity. But she said she was just so astounded once she got into the the accelerator programs, how helpful people are, how there's this genuine sense of wanting to share knowledge, share yeah. resources. And she said, I'd been in business 25 years before that, and I hadn't encountered this. So what I'd encountered before was competition and tall poppy syndrome and, you know, people keeping their cards close to their chest. And so if, if I were to nerd out on that as an academic, I mean, my own, my own work often talks about the, the notion of commons, right? That there's common resources that mm. are shared between a community and kind of managed by a community. And that's something that I hope we uh, communicate in the, in the, the pages, but it's something very striking when you start to do research in this space. Yeah. Mm. Thanks. Yeah. I'll come back to a few things you said, but Judy, do you have something that you wanted to touch on? Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's so much that I learned, um, which oddly, I, I, I knew we were going to learn things, but I wasn't expecting to be overwhelmingly surprised. Right. Like I thought we'd find the, the common sort of things that you always kind of know, right? Like, you know, raising money is difficult and um you know the most common archetype of an entrepreneur is the rebel that didn't go to uni and that dropped out of school or whatever um the thing that for me was the most surprising is that it didn't actually seem to matter what your path to entrepreneurship was they all seem to have a relatively level playing field in terms of their chances of success, um, which I think goes to show just exactly how hard it is. We all know it's very difficult. Um, but the other thing that sprung to mind just immediately when you asked the question, the first thing may not be the most important, but mm. the first thing that, that struck out is just how humble every single founder was that we spoke mm. with. They all underestimate themselves. They all genuinely don't think they are as good as they are. Yeah, they are very elite and they don't know it. Um, mm -hmm. I think, and I pose this to both of you, is there something about the Australianness of these people and the, the humility and kind of the accessibility and the sharing, the mateship maybe, the, the camaraderie? Because I, when I look at a book like this, I'm just thinking I can't picture a kind of a US equivalent or maybe it would be harder to imagine uh, one in a more competitive landscape what that would look like. That's a really interesting question uh, to tease out. I, I imagine, Judy, you've been in these conversations before about, well, what's, what does Victorian entrepreneurship look like? What is Australian? What is Melbourne? Yeah. And I asked, um, I actually asked a question like that to all of them, like, what is it about the local ecosystem? How would you characterize the local ecosystem? And people gave different answers and they often contrast it with the American model. I, I mean, so I'm, I'm giving some general rambly, uh, Pre preemptive thoughts. It's your it. style, my friend. Don't, don't, yeah, 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 never yeah, apologize yeah. for your that, style. Yeah. Yeah. Turning up early and drinking whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, the way I roll on these podcasts. Um, look, I, I think on one level we could say some things that are expected, you know, that we have, that we talk about the tall poppy syndrome and that the general, <clears throat> like I, I used to play music before I did this. Right. And, and I used to live in Argentina, um, two weird factoids that come together. And I remember I played in bands in Argentina, and so we'd, we'd interview different musicians. I remember talking to a, uh, the singer in the band who was from Liverpool about whether you needed to ratchet down someone's ability based on where they're from and how they describe it or ratchet it up. And we basically came to the conclusion that if they were American, you had to dial it down a notch because they'd always say, 
like, you know, I'm one of the best bass players in the Bay Area yeah. and stuff. And you go, yeah. yeah, all right. Okay. So you had a few gigs. And, <laughs> and, and then play, people from Northern England or Australia, because he, he was from Liverpool, Benny, um, it was the opposite. They turn up and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd be playing a little bass. And then you put the, and then you'd see them play and they'd be like, holy moly, you're really good. So I think there's a, there's a kind of national quality that a lot of us have. I mean, we don't like people that um, big note themselves. And we, um, even people that are really good at stuff can, can sort of go, oh yeah, I, d- I do a little bit of this. So sometimes there's that, there's that seed, but I think there's other things more structural that go on. Mm. Um, like Dean in, uh, not Dean rather, um, Morgan, uh, not Morgan. Um, Glenn from Yellowfin mm-hmm. talked about this in his interview that's in the book around, um, the provision of healthcare in the U S and he, his experience was, um, you know, he said there's this there's this sense that uh, America is the heartland of entrepreneurship, and and you know, and in some in some ways they are when you look at the stats. But he said a lot of what people are doing there are playing with other people's money. Um, yeah, and he, he he had a very strong take that um, because we have a lot more bootstrapped entrepreneurs here, it's much harder to raise money. It's much harder to play with other people's money, and there he, is less money. Generally. Well, there's, there's yeah. certainly yeah. less money. Um, he, he, he had an argument that you get a kind of entrepreneurialness here that's different and more skin in the game, more personal skin in the game. Yeah. Um, so I, no, yeah. I, I agree. I think like there's definitely the tall poppiness, the Australianness that, that comes at play, but I, I think arguably more strongly, there's something that I think is just universal to a startup founder's experience, which is to succeed. You have to have this like maniacal vision of changing the world. You have to be at that level. You have to be thinking that your product, your service, your innovation, whatever it is that you're delivering matters so much that you should give up your life, give up your family's life, like ask people to change their career and move to Mm. you and invest in you. And you have to have your vision so high above what the reality actually is of, of your business. And I think when you're constantly anchored in that really extreme vision of what success looks like for your company, it's really hard to look at where you are which for a lot of founders is still so far from achieving that and think that you're doing well. It's, I think, I think that really just sort of sometimes acts as a, a bit of a shadow to, for people to be able to acknowledge how far they've come, even if it's still really early days. I like that. And I think that here also um, people will check you on your vision as well. And like, you know, in the U S I feel it's a, it's a lot more like um, blue sky, like here's my vision. This is what I'm all about. Here's what I live to achieve. You can say things like that and then just do your thing and people will just be like, Oh yeah, seems legit <laughs> here. People will not kind of just let they'll, grill you about it your family will grill you your mates will grill you you're not going to get away with just grand vision you have to deliver here as well and you won't be speaking up as much or ratchet up so to speak unless you're delivering too yeah well let me say a, a, a bit of a more considered response to that that's grounded in some of the things people said so um th- this is an old story that that the notion of being an entrepreneur in australia or in victoria um we're, we're at an early phase of the ecosystem to use that word right so that we don't have I was reading something on the way here about Gina Reinhardt's donations to the bushfire thing and <clears throat> how poor it had been and I guess it's only recent that we have people like the the Atlassian guys as sort of examples in the he's popular our only imagination. Guy. We have Mike Cannon, right? He's our only yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. Th- that are that have both wealth and increasingly influence and uh, local people that say um, the general population mm. are getting to know. Mm. So on one level, there's a there's an um, a lot of founders talked about having to explain what they do to their families and at Christmas and just uh, there's no sort of template to point to. Um, 
And then the second thing people talked about is sometimes that playing out very negatively in the funding environment, like they would go to Europe or the States or even Asia, and they'd be asked to ramp up their ambition. And the, the response would be, you're only asking for that much? Or, you know, whereas back yeah. here, they, it, there'd be this sense of, man, you know, just play Keep safe, play small. Yeah. yeah, that's a bit bold. So the, I think there's a frustration that both um, is directed towards the investment community not so much the people in it actively investing, but the the fact that we're, we're swimming in capital yep. that doesn't get directed towards innovation. Um, and also just a general sort of the, the um, dare I say, I'm looking for a nicer word than mediocrity of the culture, but the fact that um, in a long, for a long time in Australia, we've had it pretty good just turning up for a, a standard job. Mm. Um, you, you're on a pretty good wicket to use an Australian yeah. expression. So, and it, it, you're not particularly rewarded for trying to do this thing, mm. this very difficult thing of, of, um, starting a company. So, so there was certainly that, but the positive I would say, and you see this in some of the interviews too, is, um, I guess, you know, the, the, the livable city, all of that dynamic, there's a sense that maybe the, the only path to entrepreneurship isn't growing as fast as possible. And I'm detecting a kind of a slight backlash against that notion. Yeah. A slight and increasing suspicion towards um, the VC backed grow at all costs kind of high performance athlete model of entrepreneurship. Um, and there's people like Kate Kendall floating around mm -hmm. increasingly talking about indie entrepreneurship and bootstrapping. Mm -hmm. So we just certainly featured people like that, but um, even amongst people that had taken money, institutional money, they were talking increasingly about, reflectively about their um their own growth targets yeah yeah did you did you have a particular way of selecting who would be in this or you just um went to your networks and did you try and like um do you have like a diversification or sampling method or was it just <laughs> who's got good stories to tell that would relate to our community that's a bit of both of those things yeah. really yeah. yeah we started because this has kind of evolved as we went um we we started with an open call out. So um, at one of Startup Victoria's pitch nights, we announced that we were doing uh, this project and we wanted to speak to people. Um, we had a simple type form that people could fill out and anyone uh, from across the community could nominate. And then as we started to see those responses trickle through, um, we weren't seeing the diversity that we wanted to see. And so we sort of combined the opt-in um, call out with some people that we just knew we should we should reach out to that would be wonderful examples and we knew there were really good stories to tell if we could just peel back the, yep. the layers a little bit um and also just people that referred it who heard about what we were doing hmm. and we're like oh you should speak to this person they've got this great story and you should speak to that person yeah. and we kind of just mapped out a little bit of everything age gender background type of business size of business and we tried to keep a relatively even keel on all of those things because like if, if what jules said before was true that you know it's not everyone who thinks or their um their shit is painted in gold and you know killing it in the in the world, uh, people that they, they might be the types who would, you know you'd think would put their hand up to be interviewed for something like this. So I imagine you get people who wouldn't feel as successful. You know there is a tap on the shoulder element to it, or you totally. know asking people. And to I refer think you need in. both. Yeah, yeah, you you totally need both. But um, just as you were both talking before, the one thing I just wanted to mention before we jump off of like the the climate uh, reference and the Mike Cannon Brooks of the world and, and things like that. I, I do think that we're at a really interesting point of Australia's economic history, mm. and I'm actually in, uh, incredibly excited for what this decade holds. I think mm. we're, it's actually to our advantage that Melbourne's startup ecosystem isn't yet at the stage of maturity of a Berlin or a London or um, a, a Tel Aviv or a San Francisco because the leaders that are now coming up into the level of Mike Cannon-Brooks, so those who have built their own successful businesses, they've got money to invest back into the next wave of entrepreneurs. 
they're younger yeah. and yeah. they uh, subscribe to the fact that climate change is real yeah. and that there are bigger problems to solve than how to get around a city more efficiently. And, you know, like that. So I'm very excited that those people will now be influencing the type of businesses that come up at the bottom end. So, for example, um, I know that this year there's going to be a, a big groundswell on climate and energy mm. startups. There's funds being set up just for climate startups at early stage and accelerator programs for that. So yeah. I think we're at a really, um, really interesting time and, and, yeah. and I'm hopeful. Well, I think that that optimism, I feel it, and I, I think certainly at the the impact pitch night that we did together, mm. um, some of the um, groups that you featured were just tremendous in what they were doing, and they they all had that same um, purpose driven focus on you know changing the world for the better, and to have sort of young people coming through that really look like school kids, some of them are so yeah. young, it's quite embarrassing and impressive. Um, that's a great thing for Victoria, and kind of fills you with a bit of um, it's a nice point of difference to have that yeah. kind of. Um, that not at maturity, that growing system with quality people who have the right values or good values about, mm-hmm. you know, bettering the lot of humanity rather than just, yeah, making it easy to get around cities. <laughs> There's no dig to any specific company whatsoever <laughs> in that statement. Undetected. <laughs> um, so do, do you want to um, – what was my question that I was going to get to on this? Um, so what's been the feedback like so far on this and how are people using the publication? Yeah, I mean, it's still pretty early days. So we mm-hmm. only launched uh, in December, yep. so right before the Christmas period. Perfect, which is a perfect launch day. <laughs> perfect launch day. <laughs> um, so for those who actually came to the launch event, it actually was perfect because yep. then they got this wonderful like long-form magazine to read over the holiday break, yep. which I'm sure everybody did. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's one story that does jump out to me, um, which was really nice. It was from one of Startup Vic's uh, members, and she sent me a note saying, you know, I saw – what you were doing with duct tape and it looked kind of cool, but I was a little bit skeptical because I thought it was just going to be the same type of characters that we see wheeled out at events and that we see in the media. And, and it's just going to be another VC backed, like typical story arc of a successful startup and there'll be lessons learned, but it probably won't be anything particularly new that's going to help me in my business because I'm, I'm an indie founder, I'm bootstrapped yep. and I'm super early stage. So um, but then she said she was in, Pleasantly surprised. She jumped onto the website, the digital version. So, um, and then she, before she looked at any of them, because it's all just like one after another, right? Like you could just scroll through the whole website and read um, the interviews. So she control left to search uh, and she searched the word bootstrap. I like this person very much. She's great. Uh, And so she just searched for the word bootstrap to see if there was any story relevant to her and she found all these stories popping up. And a lot of them were um, founders who were either at the same stage of her or just a couple of steps ahead. And she just, yeah, she shared that feedback. It was was actually surprising and really nice to see someone different, someone I hadn't heard before and something that actually was relevant to me right now. So, that's, yeah, that's really awesome. Nice. And um, so this is definitely going to go on my podcast table because uh, I think this is great and, awesome. you know, I think people would enjoy flicking through this. Jules, have you had any sort of feedback so far or? Well, I mean, I th- we should talk about the, the the reason why we're doing this podcast again, the the, the new name, the, the launch, uh, so much of oh, our the energy in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unshackled. Um, why are we back here yeah. for a second time? Yeah. Um, only, uh, I'm trying to think, have I had specific feedback? Yeah, people have got in touch and said they, I mean, the advice, one of the advisors to the innovation minister saying, this is great, we want more stories. This this enables me to put it in front of um, a minister and say, read these ones, this is what's happening. Mm. Um, I, I had a thought on the, the diversity question before because you, you sort of set yourself up 
to fail if you say, as soon as you say, you know, our publication is going to feature a diverse range of, you know, somebody's going to be upset because you didn't. So this was a, this was a difficult question um, to tackle. And we, we had this spreadsheet with like 15 different variables from geography to gender, to ethnicity, to stage. And that's um, a thorny one. That's, it, that's it's a really that's tricky one. Right? That ecosystem but, <laughs> but I remember, I mean, yes. I wanted to say something about it because there's a lot of, um, the, the word diversity, there's a number of different variables we could put under that category. Right. Mm. And um, the variables of gender and ethnicity, I think rightly have been given um, some important attention some of those that have been given less attention are questions of geography, for example, and we talked about this on the last podcast. Um, but when you look at, a lot of people don't know this, um, when you look at a geographical map of where entrepreneurship happens, particularly tech startups, it's remarkably concentrated. I mean, it's not just that it's in major cities, it's in the, the suburbs surrounding the CBD of major cities, right? Um, and this is a real, when we think about some of the political machinations around Trump and Brexit and these these kind of popular backlash against um, perceived economic prosperity and the asymmetry of that. A lot of that, I would argue, is related to there's, there's certain places on the planet that have done really well the last 20 years economically, um, and they're often the places that high-profile entrepreneurs live in. Mm. Um, and a lot of the rest of the country hasn't. So one of the big, I think, interesting kind of policy questions is um, what is the role for regional areas around uh, entrepreneurship and innovation and what, what you know th- there are certain advantages if you're founding a startup to being very close to the action close to the capital close to other startups um, and one of the, the key ideas in business is that businesses cluster together right um, but one of the things we wanted to do was try and feature people outside of that periphery and I, I think it, sort of bridging into what we could do this year or following years is focus more on that I mean, what's it? This is partly I'm thinking about moving to Ocean Grove, planning to, right? <laughs> so this, this is all, is all about you. This is actually you. all about yeah. me, right? Cool. No, no, no. But I, I'm thinking a lot about this question of what you sacrifice when you leave the city and, yeah. and what you gain. And yeah, so so that's one area. Um, but it, it, I mean, should we talk about why it's called duct tape? Sure. And that, is, that actually has been some of the feedback that we got. That people love the name. Um, yeah. Uh, so we, we did uh, for a better part of nine months um, – most feels coincidentally at the same time as it takes to incubate a Just human. To make it. <laughs> um, but uh, not that I've done it before, but I've heard it's uh, very You've difficult. You've heard it's about nine months? Yeah, I've heard yep. it's about that. Okay. Um, Jules, confirm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give or take. You incubated <laughs> a human? Well, um, no, I've watched one closely. Um, but we had a different name uh, for, for a really long time. Uh, and uh, unfortunately. Uh, what was, was the name? Uh, Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Beep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Try to catch her. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to like empty my bank no, balance. Never, like, never. what's happening here? Um, we, I think it was about two hours before our final, and I'm talking final, 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 like print run, where we press print on 2,000 copies of duct tape. Uh, we got a very official legal letter, uh, strongly encouraging us to change our name. Uh, <laughs> and we took that suggestion. Uh, <laughs> seemed to be uh, the, the best course of action. So uh, we were scrounging around as a team. Like I'm talking literally there's five or six of us in a WhatsApp group rapidly messaging mm. each other, coming up with terrible ideas for a new name. What's the, and, what's the worst idea you remember? Uh, I think the worst idea was probably Pivot or oh. Aspire. Oh. Uh, oh so really, it was bad. It was a bad oh. two hours. And then uh, Geordie, who's our designer, 
Um, I couldn't tell if he suggested it as a joke at first. He's like, what about duct tape? Because it's the tape that fixes all problems. And I, That's actually brilliant. He's like, yeah, I was serious. Did you consider blue tack or was that? <laughs> the, uh, we get another season. Yeah, we'll get letter. another legal letter, I think, uh, on the back of that. True, um, true. Sticky stuff to put stuff on walls. Um, yeah, so we, we, we went with duct tape because it also made sense. And, and the more we thought about it, the more it really resonated because it was really like a bit of a nod to the entrepreneurial spirit where it was like, you know what, duct tape is something that we use to build MVPs with. Is it like, and- like kind of like a veiled joke about how you had to like duct tape a solution very quickly? Exactly. Totally. It's yeah. both. Not that veiled. Not that legitimately like, but that is so in the spirit of like entrepreneurship and I feel yes. like that's very authentic. Yes. Like in its realest sense. Exactly. It's like you, you know, fix up the holes in your puffer jackets yeah. before you get your car to the mechanic. You fix them with duct tape. What like happens. It's the reality of a scrappy startup. These are the non-linear things, journeys. Things go wrong mm-hmm. and you need to find a, a quick solution and it needs to be good enough. And that's what that's what happened with duct tape. And we rolled with it and uh, that's what it's called now. And this this brings us back to that question of the marketing and the I've made it and the photograph in front of the brick wall. and. I mean, most people, I, I don't know if I've ever met a startup founder, but when you get them talking freely, they say, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. You know, I'm making this thing up as we're going along. We're sticking it together. And so many projects are like that, right? Mm-hmm. This is a medium post a while back. Everybody's winging it all the time. And yet when you're interviewed often, you're signaling that you know your shit, that you're yeah. following a plan, you know, you're executing on it. So there's this weird um, cognitive dissonance, I think, in the community between the signal that you want to send to prospective investors and customers and we're the best and we know what we're doing. And the reality on the ground is which no one knows what the freak they're doing, right? Yeah. Um, uh, including us <laughs> putting something yeah. like this together. But I think the point is for the founders, like I think you can do both. Yeah. You know, like that for me is the story that's shown clear. Like just because we pivoted a million and one different times on the way to what we produced and it has a different name that's scrappier than what we originally had planned doesn't mean that it's not awesome like it doesn't mean that it doesn't help you know it's more awesome because of the late stuff up um jules you probably heard this this uh term i'm sure you might have as well judy uh kitsumo which is the japanese art of you know uh of broken pottery is put back together with gold and like uh the idea is that um you know the fact that it was broken once makes it much more beautiful as a creation. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something you know about that in um, all good ideas and all good startups for sure. That you know, um, seeing the cracks and this is what I like about you know these sorts of conversations, hearing about the the um, the misdirections and the kind of the mistakes and the, oh, yeah. the the musings and the uncertainty. That's all the good stuff, and that's what makes you know the, the final success or what do you want to call it, the manifestation of the, of the idea, um, much more enjoyable and I think, mm. you know, beautiful to hear about. Mm. And it was a wild ride. It was so much fun. Yeah. It was, it was so fun, much it? fun. It was a fun team. Yeah. Let me ask you, how do people get their hands on this duct tape? Oh, that's easy. So if they want a physical copy, if mm. they like the, you know, the tactile nature of flipping the pages, because it really is more like a book than it is a magazine. It's quite um, hefty. Um, you can pick a one up from Start of Victoria's office, which is at the Commons in QV, mm-hmm. uh, which is 3 Albert Codes Lane, Melbourne, anytime. Uh, you can also pick one up from the Vic Innovation Hub uh, and Stone and Chalk, yep. uh, which is Launch Vic's office, uh, and that's 710 Collins Street in Docklands. Uh, if you, there are, there are, they are peppered throughout other co-working spaces across Victoria, um, but you'll normally just find one copy in the library or the, or the coffee shop. You won't yeah. be able to take one with you. You shouldn't take it. It's not nice. It's a common resource. Yeah, yeah. Whereas from, from, from the commons and from the good shed, you can take one. You can take one. Um, 
if you would prefer to read it digitally on your phone, on your laptop, on your iPad, whatever, uh, you can go to the digital mag, which is ducttaped.co. That's excellent. Um, and what is your ask of people who may be interested in the publication but may also you know, want to share their own story? Yeah, we, we're going to do an issue too. So mm-hmm. um, that's the biggest – I mean, I think this thing, first of all, like if you read it and a story – strikes you or you learn something and it changes what you do and it impacts you like first and foremost please tell us like i personally love hearing those stories it like fuels fuels my energy to keep doing what we're doing if i know that what we're actually putting out there is helpful and making a difference so please keep telling us um you can tweet me personally you can uh, message startup vic whatever um the other thing would be if you want to be featured so in issue two uh we'd love to speak to more founders and you know dial up the diversity as as jill said into the regions and and another another sort of um thing so if you want to be featured just reach out to startup vic and we're keeping a bit of a rolling list for issue two and don't be shy You, you need to ask for things if you want them and to tell your story everyone can learn from that so that's really important um, how should people get in touch with you? Do you have a duct taped email or do you want to give your individual emails? Yeah, <laughs> I might not give my personal email. <laughs> That's just fine. because Wherever you my like. inbox is uh, I secretly archived 3,000 emails before I went on a holiday break. Yep. Um, but It's uh, not a secret if you say it on a podcast. <laughs> That's right. It's no longer a secret. <laughs> it feels, feels like it's only us in the I room, did but. set an out of office saying if you emailed me in 2019, yeah. you're going to need to do it again. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> sorry if that was you. Um <laughs> You can email contact at startupvictoria.com.au. Also on the website, um, there is a duct tape email which redirects to Great. contact. So that anyway, might be so. the best one, the duct yep. tape email on the website. Yeah. And um, if people want to, you know, connect with you um, on your socials and whatnot, Jules, do you want to give out an email or you prefer just Twitter, socials? LinkedIn, Twitter, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. fine. Yep. You know, I'm pretty easy to find. I think I'm the only person in the world with the hyphenated surname Waters Lynch, W-A-T-E-R-S, <laughs> child of divorce. You know, well, it wasn't pretty, but I, I've, I've ended up with a very distinct last name, so I'm very easy to find. Um, I think, so there's a question of, um, sure, if you want to be in the issue, if you've found something useful out of it. There's still this question of where do we point the spotlight of attention for issue two, you know, and this time we took a, a kind of general sweep of here's a diverse range of founders. Um, we, we could do that again or we could focus more on an issue or something. So I'd be interested also in mm. people's take on on um, what would be useful because ultimately this is a kind of cultural intervention, right? Mm. We're, not, we're not selling it. We're trying to understand what would be helpful, useful. Yes, I and- should just say the, 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 you know, the, the colon here, exploring the mindset of founders. So I think that's a really good description of what this is all about, this project. Yeah, and I mean, I love what Startavik's about in the sense of we want more founders, we want better founders. Um, I think we want founders working on, this is another sort of, in the context of the bushfires, we want founders working on important problems. Mm. And my own take on, I mean, when we think about the, the tech industry and what's come, what people have come to think of as a startup founder, we had this particular moment in the last 15 years with social media and apps and e-commerce platforms and stuff. And I'm really hoping in this decade we get founders working on, um, you know, questions of material science and solar paint and, you know, just things that really move the needle around um, technology and progress and adapting to the, the changing climate, et cetera. I share that yeah. um, hope and I, I think it will happen. Yeah. I want to thank you both so much for coming on. Uh, it's been great to have a take too. I always love spending time with both of you. So um, wonderful to have you and look forward to chatting again soon. 
Yeah, awesome. thank you so much for having us and, yeah, looking forward to the next decade. Thank Take you. three or? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we don't get another legal letter, please. Just a general catch-up yes, next time. that yeah, I yeah. will do. Blue tax going to begin. Thanks, man. No worries. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.